So, while you guys turn there, let me begin... Let me begin our talk by saying that at all times, every single one of us, we give credit and appreciation to things that we have done. We give credit and appreciation to things that, that have been done that we haven't done ourselves. We give credit and appreciation to some of the natural things of this world. And so, if I may ask just for a second, like, when you think about going to a baseball game or a football game, or a basketball game. I, I think of uh, last summer, I was at a baseball game with my older brother, and there was bases loaded. And I think they were playing the Angels, yeah. Bases loaded, full count, which means they had two strikes and three balls against them, and uh, two outs, right? And so, anytime there's bases loaded, you're always worried about um, a grand slam, okay? And so, Full count, coach comes out, they're, you know, they're talking to the pitcher, they're giving him a little prep, you know, they're like, kind of like, probably tell him which pitch to like, send him his way, kind of like get him ready, and everyone's waiting for it. Pitch comes, grand slam, all right? Um, now, I remember the Seattle fans around me, not getting too excited about that, but being raised in a household where we were diehard Angels fans, immediate cheer and applause. Just, ah! And every other Angels fan there, I mean, there's still enough people who are from California like the Angels are there, to where you can hear everyone give credit and appreciation because that is a very hard thing to do. And a football game, Russell Wilson throwing a, you know, a 30-yard pass into the end zone. People, what do they do? They stand up and they cheer and they give, they give praise to something. When you're at school messing around and you're shooting the basketball around and you go to the half court and you just kind of lob it up there and you make it, what do you do? Oh! <laughs> Who saw that? Come on now, right? Like, are you doing some crazy shot behind your back? You raise up your hands and what do you do? You look around to bring someone else into the praise of that moment, into that act that was done. We all at times marvel, raise our hands, congratulate, clap, bravo, bravo, right? Um, standing ovations. And so the question that Psalm 113, I think, raises for us is when it comes to God, what does your praise look like? Do we raise our hands and marvel and ask others to join into this greatness and to praise God? Do we cheer? Do we lift up our voices and sing praises to Him? So let me read Psalm 113 for us as we think about what does it mean to praise something. As a matter of fact, uh, here we go. Look at this, huh? Come on. It's getting fancier and fancier. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants. All right, okay. Uh -huh. Marble. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above all of the heavens. Who is like our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth, 
He raises from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. We pray for us. Father, we ask now as we look at these words that you would help me not to be an innovator, not to tell them what I think, but Lord, just to carefully show what your word is teaching us and help us to be better for it. Amen. The message of Psalm 13 is that since God sees all things, we should shout out hallelujah. Since God sees all things, we should shout out hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Most of the psalms, when you get to these, uh, we call them praise psalms, psalms of just asking others to join in this singing to God. They translate in our language, praise the Lord. Praise the servants. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But in Hebrew, that word for praise the Lord is a command. It's an imperative. This word that we call Alleluia. And it's not necessarily, you know, saying, you know, sometimes we, we hear worship songs and we, we come across that word, Hallelujah. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Sometimes we think that word is um, like, yeah, God, you're awesome. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You're so cool. Praise Him. But in fact, that word, this command, is, it's calling you. And so imagine now for a second, the psalmist here of 113 says, Hey, you. Yeah, hey, I'm talking to you. You right there. Get off your feet, open your mouth, and praise the Lord. It's not something where we're just kind of generally speaking, Hey, we should talk about God and sing about Him because He's pretty awesome. But we are actually being commanded to praise Him. To shout out, hallelujah. I will praise the Lord. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian minds in the, the Christian church in the last hundred years, maybe. Before he became a Christian, he admitted <coughs> that he found that the Bible's constant demand that we praise God was highly offensive. Psalms, Psalms, therefore, would be the most offensive book to him of all other books because it's constantly telling you, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise him, praise him, O people, praise the Lord. I mean, you read the rest towards the end of the, the Psalms, like 135 to 150, nothing but praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And we ask ourselves, isn't it a bit conceited to always being asked to be praised and worshipped? <laughs> How many of your friends or family members or cousins do you get annoyed with because they talk about themselves too much? There's a country song about that, right? Toby Keith? You like talking about you, 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 usually. But occasionally, don't talk about me. Okay, whatever. So, Callie, we're tracking here. Um... Isn't it conceded to oh, like God here saying, hey, you should praise me. You should talk about me. You should always be singing my praises on your lips. I am that awesome. Like, 
C.S. Lewis is saying, man, that's just who in their right minds would be asking for open praise that much? So the question we have to ask when we come across these commands, these praise psalms, is God vain? Does God always think about himself? Do we have the right to tell God? You like talking about you, you, no. I think if you take Psalm 113 in isolation, you may come to that conclusion. But if you see Psalm 113 in the context of the entire Bible, this concept of God constantly asking for praise is not odd. Why? Because like I said earlier, we are people who like to celebrate good things. Here's a picture of one of my, oh, some verses actually. The picture of my favorite places to be. This is the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, CSO. And they would have student discount tickets. And so for $7 my freshman year at Moody, and by the time I graduated, it was 11 um, which is still 11 bucks isn't bad. They would give you seats up behind the orchestra. And so I would take Amy out, and she's thinking some fancy date. Like, yeah, I paid like $14 or whatever. Um, what are the people doing right now? Standing. They're standing. So giving a standing ovation. Why? Because they probably just listened to 35 to 45 minutes of a piece of music that was so beautiful, that was so technically you know, performed, that was just something where the sound and the movements and the themes caused them to stand up and give praise. How many of you have been somewhere where someone's giving a speech or something happens and everyone stands up and they just start clapping and cheering and whistling? And now imagine someone in this crowd sitting down on their hands, blank face. It doesn't fit. It doesn't look right. It's not appropriate to the setting. And so we have to ask ourselves, when God is saying, praise me, praise me, we're supposed to, and we do this all the time. We celebrate good things. And so God, since he is so great, he is so awesome, we should want to give him a standing ovation. It is unfitting to not worship God. You know, I read a lot of books. And maybe when you see this in movies, like so a movie will come out and say that movie will win an Oscar and they'll show a preview for that movie. This movie was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Or you read a book, and maybe it's like forwarded by someone famous, or the back of the cover has a bunch of other famous people. I couldn't highly rec more recommend this book to you. It's going to be such a great thing for you. And what is happening is you see that people are constantly also trying to get something to expand their influence of praise. They want as many people to come and experience this. Here's the problem that Psalm 113 is raising. The problem is that in our sinful world, we are blind. Listen, you, me, us, 
are blind to the goodness of God. The sad reality, in fact, is a lot of people do sit on their hands in the face of great glories of God that should lead us, in fact, into riotous praise. When I think about that, I am immediately convicted. How many times have I sat during worship? And I mean, not just during worship. My entire life where I have neglected how good God is and I have not given him the praise he deserves. I was like the guy in the middle of the standing ovation, sitting down, pouting. And that is what we all are like at times. We do not see the goodness of God and think that we should praise Him. Therefore, the job of the psalmist is to help reorient you back to what you should be doing. And therefore, He commands you, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. He's trying to get you back to the place where you see how great God is and that you give out a praise that is not just Blessed be your name and land. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Psalmist is saying, this God who we serve is so great that every single person, the whole sphere of the entire universe, should praise Him. Jesus was coming in the triumphal entry, and people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, all this stuff to Him. And some of these religious leaders came up to Him and said, hey, rebuke your disciples. And he says this thing, if they don't praise me, even these rocks will cry out. The entire universe is always pointing back to the greatness of our God. The problem that you and I have is that we are willing to give a standing ovation to a few mere mortals who can play a pretty melody and not to the great God of our universe who has rescued us. So, the psalmist gives us two reasons why God is worthy to be praised. So, he, if, he, if the command is, you, praise God. Yeah, I'm looking at you. You need to sing praises to God. He doesn't just keep the reasons why in the abstract. He tells us why. And so we read on. I don't know what I'm doing up here. I don't even know where I'm at. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. This is why I like this psalm so much. There are a lot of praise psalms to pick from, but why, why do we worry and uh, take our time to, to study this one, Psalm 113? The reason why Psalm 113 is telling us to praise God is because God... Is the God of small things. God is the God of small things. Let me tell you a story really quick. So this is an illustration I found on the internet. Not every illustration I come up with is my own. I'm sorry, I'm not that creative. Um, but just bear with me for a second as we read this story. Suppose a widowed young mother works herself to a frazzle. Good word, right? To give her son, Charlie, 
the best life possible. Suppose that she works in some sweatshop during the day and scrubs toilets in an office building by night just to scrape together enough money to give Charlie decent clothing, education, food, and shelter. But suppose Charlie is an ignorant child who notices very little his mother's efforts and even squanders a good bit of what his mother has given him. Suppose that instead of fulfilling any of his mother's hopes for him, Charlie spends his time and all of his money at cheap bars and at toddy brothels. So suppose one day, after having her son tell her one more time, hey mom, get lost, hey mom, I don't want to listen to you, the mother finally says, Charlie, I deserve better than this from you. I deserve more gratitude. You should try a lot harder to live a decent life for my sake. Here's the question. Would you conclude that this mom, this woman, is arrogant or vain or looking for praise out of conceited desire to ratchet up her ego a few clicks? I don't think so. It would only be fitting if such a son were to thank his mother. Anything less is rude. When it comes to God, and when we see Psalm 113, we see that God is not an egomaniac caring about himself, but we see a God who has given himself to the small, mundane, overlooked, marginalized people and given them a hope and a future, and he's rescued them. And for that reason... The psalmist says, you should praise God. He raises the poor from the dust. You see, here's a question that, that people, I was reading a lot of commentaries, and a lot of some of these people are on the fence about what to really think about Psalm 113. Because they said, not every single woman who can't have a baby gets to have a baby. Not every single poor person gets to be raised out of the ashes and brought before princes. You see, the psalmist here is talking about two people in their day and age that were by far the most marginalized and unsuccessful people. And so what he is trying to say is that God looks after and is interested and is concerned and is involved in every single person's life. When I was in high school, there was these guys uh, who started this company called Invisible Children. Um, and I debated talking about them or not because they kind of went crazy uh, a few years later. But they were onto something for a second. They just decided one day, like, hey, what are we doing in our lives? We're just American guys going to college and living this. Let's just plan a random trip to Africa. Literally, no agenda. They're just going to go. And they went and they started ex exploring and they, and they found these rooms of like 800 kids. Just sleeping in a huge room to, to be safe, to not be taken into being um, child soldiers. And then, then they started talking to these people, and they found some mothers, and they found some others. And they realized there's all these kids everywhere who don't have moms or dads, and they're just invisible. 
they, they, they tried to get most of their stuff during the night and they hid during the day. And so they went back and they started this huge nonprofit organization called Invisible Children to raise awareness and money to help these kids. And you think about, that is someone in our day and age who is marginalized. Who literally no one sees. People in our society, I mean, just even think about the people caught in sex trafficking. People who seem to have no hope and no future. And do you know why God is worthy to be praised? Because God cares about every single person. Did you know that when you were alone and you had your feelings to yourself and you were upset that God saw you? You know, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of different names for gods. For God, excuse me, not, there's, not, there's only one God, but a lot of different names for God. And one of my favorite names was Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. Um, and now that I bring it up, I should know this, but my wife, her favorite name for God was, actually I forget the Elohim something, but the God who sees, the God who sees. You see, some, something about the mundane, you're going to your classes, you have work, you have homework, you're doing chores at home, you know, you're just doing things that aren't exciting, you know, you don't have any notifications on your Instagram or your Facebook, nothing's, no, you don't have a party to go to, you're not really hanging out with friends, and it seems to see that, that God looks at the most mundane things of your life, and he cares, and he's interested and he's involved. It's fascinating to me that the God who can make mountains smoke, who could at the same time tenderly smile on a childless woman. We see a God who is distressed about people who we overlook. I think the real reason why I like Psalm 113, there's a lot of reasons, but the real reason is that Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 are known as this section called the Hallel Psalms, or also known as the Egyptian Hallels. And what Psalms 113 through 118 talked about is that these were psalms sung during the Jewish Passover. So the Passover was a festival that the Jews celebrated because of when God led them out of Egypt. And so they would have this big Passover meal. And so what would happen is that they would typically read Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 before the meal. They would have the meal, and then afterwards they would sing Psalms 115 through 118. I'm going somewhere with this, so just, just track with me. Our faith centers on this great fact, that God ultimately stooped so low and to the most mundane things that he became a man, Jesus. The night before Jesus was crucified, the night before he died on the cross, in the upper room with his disciples, 
They were celebrating the Passover meal, in which undoubtedly Jesus would have sang Psalm 113 with his disciples. Psalm 113 literally is the song of Jesus. And what we see is that God himself became a mundane man and he actually with his lips sang these words that he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. That God cares about every single person. He cares about the mundane. And he did so primarily by actually becoming a man. In our act of praising God for his specific wonders, we not only sing to God, but we are actually singing against the false gods of this world. We are, when we sing praises to God, when we are up here doing worship, when we are living a life of worship, we are actually saying that the God of power, the God of self-salvation, the God of comparing ourselves to one another, the God of sex, all of those gods are false gods. But when we are saying, praise the Lord, praise the God who looks at every single person, and loves them. Praise the God who stooped so low to take on human flesh in order that he could die for our sins. We are saying that every other God is a false God. Why should you praise God? Why should you lift up your voice? Why should you raise up your hands and encourage others to come and to sing praises to him? Because he is the God of small things. C.S. Lewis again. In the theme of uh, orchestras. Has anyone here been to an orchestra? It's like inspirational. It's like um, literally the best. But listen, listen to what C.S. Lewis says here. For now, we can only tune up our instruments in preparation for the heavenly symphony of praise. So he's, if you've been in the orchestra, they have to like warm up. So they're kind of like getting uh, what a, a C is and they're kind of like, everyone's doing their own little thing. Like you hear like the strings and the flutes. And so right now we're, we're preparing our instruments. He goes on. But if you've ever been to an orchestra concert, you know that there is something lovely and exciting about even the tune-up time. When you hear that mixing of sounds, you know that you're getting close. And then, every once in a while, in the midst of the jumbled sounds of percussion and flutes and woodwinds and other instruments, every once in a while, someone plays a few measures of the Mozart piece that is coming up. And when you catch those few strains of the real music, your heart skips a beat in anticipation. Right now as Christians, we are in the tune-up phase. We are tuning our instruments so that one day we can be in heaven and be 
with the full orchestra singing praises to God. And it's not just a few notes that sound great. It's every single note that sounds great. And it's all directed towards God. In this world, we can but tune our instruments. But tune them we must. As we sing our praises, as we live our lives of worship, we need to shout to every single person, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. Praise the Lord. Since God sees all things, we need to shout, Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, I ask that you help us to have hearts of praise. Hearts that want to tell the whole world that they should praise the Lord because he has seen all things. Because he cares about the lowly, the widow, the orphan. God, help us to not be people who are not easily amused by your grace and how great and wonderful you are. But Lord, I pray that you give us a song in our heart that we would scream to the whole world, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.